I want to welcome everyone to all of our campuses as we keep grinding through our series, Plot Twists. As we get going today, I have this question I want to ask you. How many of you remember the first time that your mom and dad left you home alone? I know for some of us, man, we're going to have to think way back. But I have this follow-up question. How many of you loved it when your mom and dad left you home alone? You know, for me, um, I loved it every time my mom and dad thought about taking off for a little bit. You know, at the beginning, it was just uh, maybe to the grocery store. They might have went and picked up uh, my brother from a practice. But I look forward to those times because, honestly, uh, you like to feel grown up. You like to feel responsible. And I remember uh, planning lots of things that I was going to do while they were gone. You know, and as I got older, it got even better because they would stay away a little bit longer and then eventually think about maybe an overnight or maybe for some of you, if you were better than me, they would go for the weekend and you get to be in charge. But I started thinking about the things that I wanted to do, the things that I could get away with. And I thought, you know, as mom and dad are away, I can eat all the ice cream I want. You know, no problem. All I have to do is leave a little bit. I began to think, you know, I can drink out of the milk carton without a glass. My mother hated it when I did that. I began to think I can stay up as late as I want. I can turn our living room into a soccer field, and if I break a lamp, surely I can fix it before they get back. And then I began to think this. I can have over as many friends as I want. You know, that's usually where things started to go south, you know? When you started thinking about all the people that you get over, all my friends, when we got together, man, it was a mess. Bad ideas all the way around. But truthfully, we all desire and we want to feel responsible. We want to feel like we're grown up, like we have this opportunity to continue to uh, develop ourselves, our, our management, our skills, our ability to make good decisions. But many times when we do this, when we get the opportunity to be responsible, it just kind of goes to our head. Like the manager who was placed really in charge of all the safety procedures for his company. And the company identified, man, this guy's got serious passion about all these things that we need to do to be safe, to be in compliance. And one of the things that he was really passionate about was fire safety. And so what he decided to do was he would see how quick everyone could be in regards to following a proper fire drill. And so he decided to actually set a fire in his company's office. And this is a guy that you do not want working for you. Uh, many of you remember this scene from The Office. Dwight Schrute, the unwise manager, you know? This is a guy that honestly, if you hire him, you're waiting for a lawsuit. I mean, it's just gonna happen, it's inevitable. But Dwight was someone who was super passionate about being safe, being in compliance, but he was unwise about the way he went about it. I want you to turn your Bibles with me. I want everybody to grab your Bibles, grab your phone if you have them. You can go right to the Pathway app. You're going to get to Luke chapter 12, and we are going to unpack this parable or this story about this manager. Now, Jesus tells the story this way. Just as the followers of their listening, he starts off and he says, there was someone who was placed in really a position of responsibility over all of his master's estate. So over all the affairs. And as the master is getting ready to leave and go away, he says to this servant who he's placed in charge, I want to make sure 
that you understand there are two basic rules that you have to follow. Here's the first. Make sure everyone gets food. Check, you know. Second one, make sure that no one gets beat. I'm like, check. This is a simple job description, right? I mean, how can you fail at this? Got two things to do. Make sure while you're away, everyone gets fed, and make sure that I don't beat anyone. You know, I think I can do that. Then Jesus says this. Look here in verse 43. He says, if the master returns and find a servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. You know, I, I get this. You know, you get this. Do a good job, you get a reward. I mean, I'm working on this with my nine-year-old son. Hey, clean your room, and we might feed you lunch, you know? I mean, there's good things that can happen. Take a shower, and maybe we'll drive you somewhere, you know? And so you try to help, you know, even your kids understand that when you do a good job, there will be something that will follow, something good for you. And it would be all right if Jesus just stopped right there. If he just stopped the story right there and he said, you know, does everyone understand? We all could go, yes, Jesus, we get it. We'll do a good job. But he offers a different scenario. I want you to look with me here at verse 45. He says, but suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming, and, he de- and then he begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him in an hour that he is not aware of. Man, when you hear Jesus change the story, the scenario, the perspective, and you hear him talk about this servant who decides that he is going to just live for himself, that he's going to begin to beat the help and get plastered on the master's wet bar, you're like, what is the deal? Why did the master not run a background check on this guy? I mean, surely this master could have chosen someone that was wiser. But here's the deal. The servant begins to be dulled in his senses. As the master takes longer getting home than he thought he should, he begins to look at everything around him and go, you know, I think I'm going to do this the way I want to do it. I think I'm going to live it up a little bit. I think I'm going to take advantage of those that are around me. You, you, you kind of look at the servant and there's part of you that's appalled and part of you is like, I see this happen all the time. It's like the teenager who has his parents leave for the weekend and he decides to trash the house and thinks that he can put it back together before they return home. I hope that's not happening in your home. But we see the servant being unwise. And Jesus wants him to understand this. The master's going to return on a day that you do not expect him at an hour that you are not aware of. And so all the people have to be listening going, who is Jesus really talking about here? Well, he gets very specific in verse 40. I want you to look at this with me. He says, you also must be ready. Now speaking to all the followers and to you and I today. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. And I want to tell you, as we sit here today, you and I have to allow this to settle a little bit in our hearts. We have to begin thinking about ourselves. Are we ready 
for the master return. When Jesus talks about the Son of Man, now he's talking about himself. And so the gut check for you and I today is this. Are you, am I ready for Jesus' return? Are you ready? If Jesus came back today, are you ready? If Jesus came back tomorrow, are you ready? When is the last time that you thought about Jesus returning? I mean, has it been in a few days, a few weeks? Has it even been in the last month? Have you thought about what it means and what it's going to look like when Jesus returns? You know, when we start talking about Jesus returning, there's all kinds of things that start to surface, things in our emotions, things in our thoughts. You know, and for many people, when we start talking about Jesus returning, one of the emotions, one of the thoughts that starts to really surface is fear. And there's a lot of people that fear Jesus' return because it's overwhelming to them. You know, they start to think about it and they thought, you know, I, I don't have all the answers. I'm not sure when it's going to happen. I'm not sure what it's going to look like. And once again, it's not a day that we're anticipating, a day that we're looking forward to, but it's a day that we're trying to put in the back of our mind. You know, and the church hasn't always helped in this either. The church has used fear tactics to motivate people, to begin to work on them, like this billboard here that talks about the second coming of Jesus, Judgment Day. And it says here that Judgment Day is coming on the 21st of May, 2011. Now, I don't want you to poke your neighbor and go, I knew you weren't going to make it. You know, you can't do that. And I do want to let you know that you're okay. Jesus hasn't returned. Judgment Day hasn't happened. If you're sitting here on our campus and you're going, man, I I'm concerned about when that day is. I, I want to tell you that Jesus doesn't want you to live in fear. He doesn't want to allow fear to be the thing that motivates the way you manage your life. And churches are extreme in this. You have some churches that spend so much of their time and energy studying what's going on in our world and how does it line up with the second coming of Christ and they're trying to figure out the exact time, the precise day. And Scripture tells us that we can know seasons, but we will never know the day. And then you have other churches that act like Jesus is never coming back. They, they just don't think about it. It's not important to them. And I want to encourage you once again to understand that this day, that we should be anticipating, hoping for, looking forward to, is in our future. But here truly is the point of the parable. The point of the parable is not to help us find the day when Jesus returns, but rather to see how that day will find us. That's the point of this whole story that Jesus is telling, that the master is coming back, that Jesus will return, and if we don't have the day figured out, if we don't even have the year figured out, that's okay. The point is this, we have to be ready. We have to be ready for the day that Jesus returns. And being ready isn't just anticipating, but it's making sure that our lives are ready. That each and every day we're living like it would be our last, like that the master would come home. Jesus would come back to take you and I, the church, to reign with him forever. And one of the things I love about this story 
is Jesus doesn't just tell this to kind of get us inspired. He gives us some practical ways that we can await his return. And they're actually at the beginning of this story that he tells. In verse 35, it says this, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. You know, as the crowd is sitting there and they're listening to the story, they can identify with this. You know, for us, uh, we may have a hard time with this one, this idea of keeping your lamps burning. Because you know, we don't do this today. We, we don't have a lamp. We have a switch that we flip on and it gives us light. But back in that day, in the first century, they understood what it meant to keep your lamp burning. In order to keep your lamp burning, it required a lot of energy, a lot of effort. You had to think about the fuel source. I mean, how many days have you allotted fuel for? Is there enough days there that the master decides to delay a little bit that you'll be able to keep that lamp burning? Do you have enough wicks or the wicks trimmed properly so it can give light, so that when the master comes, you can meet him at the door with that light, and you can welcome him home. Now, that's what it requires. Effort, attention, focus. I begin to study this as well as I prepared for the message, and I found this to be interesting because I wanted to know, you know, why is Jesus talking about keeping your lamps burning? As you go and you look through the New Testament, and you look at all the parables and illustrations that are given for the master returning, he always is away at night. Now, I begin to think, why? Why is the master always away at night? Well, think about night. What happens at night? We get sleepy. We begin to let our guard down. Our senses get a little duller. You know, the truth is, at night, we become fatigued. Some of my worst decisions I've made in my life have been at night, when I let my guard down, when I was fatigued. I remember years ago as a teenager, I asked my parents one time if I could stay out past midnight. And they said to me, no, you're not going to stay out past midnight because nothing good happens after that time. And I'm sure they weren't being literal because there's probably some Bible study going on somewhere, which I should have been a part of. But they're trying to help me understand. Man, there are things that happen at night when you let your guard down, when you're not as alert, your senses aren't as strong. You have to be aware of that. And for you today, maybe you're living in the dark. Maybe there's a temptation that's about ready to take you down. It might be a relationship, maybe at work, maybe on your kid's ball team. This started out innocent enough as you begin just to exchange stories about your families, but now it's transitioned into a relationship that involves some flirtation. I want to challenge you. You need to get your lamp lit. You need to be aware. And maybe for you, it's the fact that you've been spending a lot of time on Facebook and you've seen all these vacations that people are taking everywhere and you think, man, my family needs to do that too. And you're about ready to make an unwise financial decision and place your finances in jeopardy. I want to encourage you to keep your lamp lit to be wise. Maybe for you, it's the fact that anxiety is wrecking your life. It's hard for you to get out of bed in the morning. It's hard to function. Worry and the stresses of the day just overwhelm you. And here's the problem. You haven't told anyone. I want to encourage you to get your lamp lit, to be willing to stay alert, 
Here's what Romans says about it. Such a good passage for us as we look at this story. Romans 13, this is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Man, I have to ask you, Pathway, do you believe that passage? I mean, so many of us made a decision years ago in our life, and we have been waiting for Jesus to return. And now there's this opportunity for us once again to be reminded that as we wait, if there's anything that is attacking us, if there's any temptation that is overwhelming us, if there's a sin that's controlling our life, man, it's time to wake up. We have to wake up. We have to be alert. And I want to tell you this. Man, monster's not going to help you. Rock star energy drink is not going to help you. An espresso at 4 p.m. in the afternoon is not going to help you wake up. I think one of the things that God offers you and I, one of the best things that he offers you and I, is someone who is striving for eternity just like you are. These friendships that we have in life are so important to us being alert, to us recognizing once again that the day of our salvation is nearer than it's ever been before, the day that Jesus will come and we will be able to recognize the fact that we've been rescued and given new life. But it takes people to walk with us, to help us stay alert, to help us stay awake. I need so many people in my life. I need friends that are striving for eternity. One of my favorite ones is my wife. And Sarah does a great job reminding me that Jesus is coming back when I get fired up about stupid stuff. And she's just helpful. She's helpful reminding me, Todd, that's really not that important. The fact that your son got thrown out first base doesn't matter, you know? It's not important. I need to uh, remind my friend who's suffering through tragedy that Jesus is returning and this thing that he's going through with his family, it won't last forever. So important to have friends that will surround us when we're suffering, when we're feeling the weight of the world to remind us that there is a life beyond this life. And when you and I are suffering the injustices of life, when we see that things aren't right, we need people to remind us that Jesus is returning and he will make right all the things that are wrong. It's such an important thing for us to be able to do together. I don't know about you, but I think that's the glory of the church. That's the great thing that we get to do is we get to do this together and we can come alongside each other when life feels overwhelming and our senses aren't as alert as they need to be when temptation is around us and have people nudge us and keep reminding us, Jesus is returning, Jesus is returning. Don't give up, stay in the fight. God will reward you at the end. The second thing that Jesus says here, he says, I, I want to make sure that you're dressed and ready to serve. 
You know, I want to ask this question. Have you ever been trapped by the doorbell when you were in your PJs or even worse, you know? When when the doorbell rings and you're like, I'm not going to go get that, you know? You're like, it would not be good for me or you if I came and got that. You know, there's those times, honestly, where I've been trapped and, and I wasn't fit to go to the door. And then, you know what bugs me? All day long, I'm wondering, who was that person? What did I miss? That's what Jesus is getting at here. He's trying to help his servants understand that the master's returning, and if you're not dressed and ready to come greet him, if you're not dressed and ready to come serve him, then you may miss out. You know, I think this is so applicable to everything about our life. You know, each day as Christ follows, we should wake up and we should get dressed We should make sure that we have the armor of God on and that we are ready to go out and we are ready to serve all those that Christ would put on our path, that we're alert, that we're ready to go. That's what Jesus is saying here. There's so many things that God is going to bring in our life, so many opportunities, and Jesus wants to remind the crowd once again, be ready, be dressed, ready to go, ready for action. And so we need to keep thinking through, how does that look in my life? Am I waking up each day anticipating that God will bring me things, opportunities to be responsible, to manage what he's given me so that I truly can give him the satisfaction of seeing me serving well? You know, this story is a good story to remind us of what we need to be responsible for and how we are required to one day give an account for how we've lived out that responsibility. But it's not all good news. I want to tell you, as you dig in the story here, and you can look at this later in your home teams or in your own personal study, there are some consequences for those who are unwilling to keep their lamps burning. Those who are unwilling to make sure that they're dressed and ready to serve. It's not all just good news, there's bad news too. And we need to make sure that we are willing to do those things and that our hope and our anticipation is for the day that the master will return and that we can be seen as wise and we can be seen as faithful. But here's the plot twist. The plot twist is this. Jesus returns and he finds the servant having done a good job. And you would think that in that reward, Jesus would stand before the others and say, hey, I want to let you know that I chose the right person. They did such a good job, took care of everything that I had hoped for. And I just want everybody just to give them a hand and just to honor them. Jesus could have done that. He could have said, you know what, I really appreciate your dedication. Why don't you take the rest of the week off? And that would have been awesome, too, if the servant could have been rewarded in that way. But Jesus has oh so much more. Look at verse 37. It says, It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at the table and will come in and wait on them. Man, I had to read this a couple times as I was preparing for this message, to make sure I really got what I read. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? Jesus is saying, if you do your job well, when I come back, 
we will reverse the roles. This master-servant relationship will look different. Now I, as the master, will come and serve you as the servant. When you read that, and you think about Jesus and who he is, it's just kind of like, wow. You would be willing to do that? You would be willing to come and serve me even though I'm the servant? And it shouldn't surprise us. I mean, for those of us who have spent time studying God's word, we're reminded even now of that night that Jesus was arrested. Hours before he was arrested, as he sat in the upper room with those followers, and as they waited for the servant to come out and to wash their feet and to wash their hands and to prepare them for dinner, and no one arrived, Jesus went over and he took the towel in the basin. And he went and he bowed before each of those men that followed him. And he served him. I want to let you know, this is the master that's coming home. A master who loves you, a master who's ready to serve you, to help you accomplish everything you want to accomplish in life. That will give him glory, that will elevate his kingdom here on earth. This is the master that you and I serve. We need to make sure that our hearts are ready for his return. I want to challenge you this week to go away and think about a trigger that you can use to keep your mind alert on Jesus' return. To think about something in your life that you can get focused on that each and every day you'll get up in the midst of everything you're doing in life and go, this is what it is. It's about Jesus' return. It could be a very simple thing. I had a friend that wrote on the edge of his Bible just in big black letters, think eternally. And that was his trigger. And when he pulled his Bible out, that was the first thing he saw and it helped refocus his mind consistently on the fact that Jesus is returning. Man, I want us to do that before we leave today. And so I'm gonna ask everyone to bow your head and to close your eyes. And I just want to challenge us in this way. I want to challenge us to make Jesus' return the priority of our mindset. And I know how challenging it is because we are so busy in life. There are so many things that clamor for our attention. But this should be it. This fact should be the most important thing driving all avenues of our life. And if you've lost that a little bit, if that's moved down unintentionally on your priority list, then I want you today to be willing to say, man, I'm gonna get that back up further on my radar. I want that to be the priority of my day each and every day. And if that's you and you want to work this week at finding that trigger in your life that will help remind you that Jesus is returning. I want you to raise your hand right now. If you know that Jesus is returning and you know you need to refocus on that, I just want you to raise your hand at all of our campuses as a sign of declaration that you're gonna do that in a stronger way tomorrow than you have today. I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for our willingness to do that. I need to do that in my life. 
to continue to allow Jesus to be the priority, his return to be the most important thing. And before we leave today, I also want to offer this. I mean, this message speaks about this in such a strong way. The truth is Jesus is returning and there are some of you today who haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I want you to be able to experience what it means not just to have Christ in your life in this world, but to be able to be with him forever. To have the ability to reign eternally with Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 3.20, it says this, Jesus' words, here I am, I stand, I am knocking on the door. If you will open it up, I will come in and I will be with you. Oh, there's some of you, Jesus, have been knocking a long time. And you haven't opened the door. You've been trying to do this life on your own. And if you're just honest with yourself in this moment, it hasn't been that great. You need someone to rescue you, someone to give you purpose, someone to give you strength. And if that's you, and you want to accept Jesus Christ as the one who can rescue you, the one who can lead you in your life, I want you just to pray this prayer. Just in the quietness of your heart, just follow after me. Father, I thank you so much that you brought me here today to hear this message. And Lord, I understand because everything inside is telling me that you are returning. And I don't understand everything about it and I don't know the day, but I know it's true. And Lord, I know this is true too. I've been trying to live my life on my own. And Lord, the truth is I keep missing the mark. And I wanna confess that I've fallen short that I need you. So Jesus, with everything I understand in this moment, I want to ask you to come into my heart, to fill my mind, to teach me what it means to be your follower. Lord Jesus, please come and give me life. I want to be with you forever. You know, with everybody's head still bowed and their eyes still closed, if you made the decision if you prayed that prayer to ask Jesus to come and be your Lord and Savior today at all of our campuses, I want you to raise your hand right now. Raise it high as a declaration that you're not gonna let another day go by that you haven't accepted the gift of Jesus Christ so that you can experience what it means to be joyous in his return, to be excited, to anticipate it. Praise God. So grateful for you that you be willing to surrender let Jesus be your Lord and Savior. Father, I thank you. I thank you for our brothers, our sisters, our family here at Pathway Church and all of our campuses, Lord, as we see people come each weekend to give their life to you. I pray that you would receive glory in that. Father, I pray that we as a church would walk alongside them well. And I thank you so much for their courage to accept you. We look forward to your return. In Jesus' name, amen.